Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going. Going. Goodbye baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners. With more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. An off-day tradition, unlike any other. That's right. It's Extra Innings here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. Really appreciate you using this as the backdrop to a gorgeous evening here in Seattle. I'm Curtis Rogers. I'll be with you till 9 p.m. on Seattle Sports. We have got a lot to get to in this one. A lot of cool guests, as always. Brandon Gustin, surprise special guest. He'll join me at 7.15 p.m. tonight. And then also at 8 o'clock, Daniela Bruce, who covers the Tigers for the team, for the Detroit Tigers, she will stop by at 8 o'clock. So we have got our great opponent preview coming up at 8. Brandon Gustin at 7.15. We'll also hear from some great, great Mariners audio that you have heard throughout the day here on Seattle Sports and also throughout this week. But before we get into all of that, as we do each and every edition of Extra Innings, I give you my three up, three down for the week that has been. And let's start with the up. Let's always start on the up. Let's let's always start with the good. And the great for this Mariners team has been their starting pitching. It has been really just the entire pitching staff, but let's focus on the starting pitching right now. Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Bryce Miller, Luis Castillo. I mean, yeah, Castillo got the loss yesterday, but he still managed to strike out nine in five innings. Marco Gonzalez has had his fair share of of good starts this season. Like, even in the absence of Robbie Ray, this group has not lost a step, which I think speaks to the tremendous amount of depth in the organization when it comes to quality arms. Now, is Bryce Miller going to be this kind of pitcher each and every time out? I don't think that's a pace anyone's capable of producing every single time they head to the mound. But it has definitely helped keep the Mariners in a lot of ball games. Just being able to now have a fifth quality starter in that rotation. Chris Flexen uh, just wasn't getting it done in the rotation. You bring up Bryce Miller, and all of a sudden now you can kind of see a, a rotation where the ceiling of it is not so low anymore. I, I think right now this starting pitching with all five arms when they are at their very best is probably the best in baseball. And and certainly fan graphs right now uh, giving them the highest war of any team in baseball in terms of total pitching staff, I, I think it, it, that is a very believable thing. My eyes believe that stat uh, very much so because they have really kept the Mariners afloat over the course of the season's first month and a half. They have really helped them stay in tons and tons of ball games to start this to start this 2023 season. Now, the first thing I am down on goes to the offense and a specific thing about the offense, and that is them not controlling the zone. That is them having a sky-high strikeout rate while having a very mid-level walk rate. That is not how it's going to get done. That is not how they are going to win their ball games this season by swinging at so many balls out of the zone, swinging out of... Uh, you know, out of their shoes like they have been this season. The Mariners are a team that need to get on base. And, and yes, batting average is a classic way of doing so. It's hitting your way on, but also generating walks, generating 
uh, you know, pitch counts that you're going to see good pitches in, driving the opponent's pitch count up. Aaron Goldsmith, he joined the dugout earlier this week and talked about the Mariners and, and their formula for winning ball games and how most of Major League Baseball has kind of followed suit. But if there's one thing that we've learned watching the Mariners, watching Major League Baseball as a whole, there's a lot of ways to win baseball games. Offensively, this is an OBP-driven team, an on-base percentage-driven team. And last year they did that with the second-highest walk rate in baseball and about a middle-of-the-pack strikeout rate in baseball. And you know what they did? They hit bombs. Top 10 home run hitting team last year. They did it while batting 230 as a team, which was 27th in baseball. When the Mariners were at their best, there were men on base. They'd pop a bomb. It would happen again, and they'd hang six runs on the board. And right now, the Mariners are not at their best swinging the bat. And how is how can they get back to that? Well, you got to bust out of these slumps. Scott Service talked about it earlier this week with Brock and Salk and just kind of how he approaches players when they are slumping. Well, I think when you have those discussions, I always try to put myself in the player's shoes. And I was in those shoes. I had many seasons where I was struggling for stretches of time. And, you know, I try to go back and lean on the things that I thought helped me or resonated with me. Every player is different. You know, I'm not going to you know, talk with Julio the same way I would talk with Ty and JP. They're just at different points in their career, and, and they understand you know, maybe their swing or their approach a little bit differently. So you really have to be individualized. You cannot just say, okay, here's how I did it. You need to start doing it this way. Or these are what the numbers say. You need to start doing this better. The players know. They know they're struggling. And, and you know, our job is just try to relieve some of the pressure, try to get them relaxed a little bit and get them in the happy place. And hopefully that is the way that they can snap out of this funk they've been in offensively for the season's first month and a half. Now let's get to the next thing that I am up on. And one of the bats in this lineup that has delivered time and time again uh, over the season's first, what, 35 games, 36 games, has been one J.P. Crawford. The stretch and the 0-2 to Crawford. Swing and a line drive down the right field line. This one is going to be a fair ball in toward the corner. Off the wall, Julio scores. Around the third goes Walton. J.P. to second. The throw cut off. Relay to second. Head first slide. J.P.'s in with an RBI double. It's a one-run ball game. It's the Rangers three and the Mariners two. J.P. Crawford. Again, with a clutch base hit, and it comes with two strikes. J.P. Crawford with that RBI double yesterday. We remember his three-run double against the Astros on Saturday, which sparked that seven-run eighth inning against Houston. This is a guy that has delivered, and he has gotten off to good starts in prior seasons. And I am hopeful that he is able to continue this throughout the course of, of the entire 2023 season. Because this team has invested a lot in him, and they have have shown their faith in him. They have shown their trust in him that he is a a pillar of this team going forward, that he is a leader in this clubhouse. And what do leaders do? Not only do they lead off the field, but you got to lead on the field. you got to deliver on the field, and J.P. has done done that so far this season uh, among the highest in terms of uh, Fangraph's war on this team. In fact, I believe him and Jared Kelnick are neck and neck right now in terms of war offensively. So, J.P. Crawford, I mean, so much has been made about him. So much has been made about the Mariners' decision to stick by him at shortstop. But he is really paying off the Mariners' decision to believe in him so far at the start of this season. Uh, tip of the cap to him because he has been one of the brightest spots offensively 
for this Mariners ball club. Now, another thing that I am down on, and that is the injury news that we got this week on a couple of guys. Uh, boy, it is not looking, you know, you just come on. The, the, I get it that the injury luck last year was very much in the Mariners' favor from April through the end of October, but this year it just feels like the injury gods are just picking on the Mariners right now. Uh, Andres Munoz, let's start with him. His deltoid strain uh, got a PRP injection. It looks like he is going to be out for the rest of this month, potentially coming back in June. Ugh. Dylan Moore, uh, core surgery. He got an, uh, looks like he's hoping to ramp back up to baseball activities, but uh, his expected return probably going to be around late May. Uh, he's been experiencing this pain since late August. Justin Hollander gave everybody an update on all these injuries uh, earlier this week. Robbie Ray is back home in Michigan, and he will be in a brace for the next eight weeks. Obviously, he's being shut down for this season. Probably won't be ready for spring training either. May not be ready for the start of the season next year. Um, potentially even maybe the middle part of 2024 is when we can expect Robbie Ray back. Pet Murphy, elbow inflammation. No idea when he's going to return. And then Evan White. I mean, this guy. Yes, when he was up with the team in 2020, his batting was just not great. Uh, and then at the start of 2021, but look, this guy has dealt with tons of injuries already in his in his young big league career, and he's having another another hip surgery uh, to his left hip, the same area he went under surgery or he underwent surgery in 2021. I mean, nobody at his age should have this amount of you know hip issues, and you just hope that he can get back to playing again. Like that, that to me is my biggest wish for Evan White right now is that he can get back to playing baseball again because uh, dealing with that amount of injuries in that short amount of time, uh, no one wants that. That is a tough, tough blow for him. Um, I I get that you know. A lot of talk about Evan White talks about his contract, you know, how he's barely played at the big league level ever since signing that deal with the Mariners prior to the 2020 season. But look, like when healthy, he was one of the better prospects in the Mariners farm system. Uh, I think in a perfect world, the the Mariners obviously get a healthy Evan White, but I don't think that is coming anytime soon. So that is one thing that I am down on. The next thing that I'm up on, the final thing that I'm up on right now, is Jose Caballero. And, and, and look, I, I firmly believe that Caballero needs to be the Mariners' starting second baseman going forward. I think he needs to be getting the majority of at-bats ahead of Colton Wong right now. He gives you the best opportunity to win ball games uh, out of the second base position. Here's Scott Service earlier this week talking about the edge that Caballero plays with. Cabby's really savvy on how to use the clock, and he doesn't like the pitcher out there holding the ball on him because I think Bryce Miller does an awesome job of that. He kind of freezes the hitter as he holds the – and he's looking at the clock, and he's letting it tick down before he delivers. And, and some hitters are not – Cabby doesn't – he likes to slow it down. And, again, per rule, you've got to have your head up at eight seconds or earlier. But Cabby doesn't usually lift his head. He'll be in the box, but his head is down until he gets to about 10 or 9, which is perfectly legal. It's different, okay? And I think that's what uh, – you know, the Astros didn't like it, whatever. Um, but I, I love, like I said, when Cabby showed up here, he plays with some edge. He plays the game his way. Yeah, he definitely has. And uh, he's 
been delivering for the most part. Uh, still waiting on that first career home run, but I really like how Jose Caballero plays the game. Obviously, the uh, dust-up he had with Martin Maldonado uh, behind home plate on Sunday, that kind of plays fresh in everybody's mind this week. And, uh, you know, it's always good to have guys on your roster that play with a bit of an edge, and Caballero definitely, definitely does that. And the final thing that I am down on is one-run ball games this season. The Mariners 4-11 and in those uh, it is so tough to predict anything in baseball, and when you are playing that many close ball games and having them go one way prior to this season, uh, it stinks because it does kind of feel like luck has not been on the Mariners' side so far in 2023, and that could be a reason why they're just four and eleven right now in one run ball games. I saw that the Miami Marlins had won 13 consecutive one run games. Like that's. That's just how random these kinds of close ball games are. The Mariners have hung their hat on them in recent seasons. Unfortunately, it has not broken their way to start 2023. But when we return here on Extra Innings, we will visit with Brandon Gustafson. That's coming up next. Also, we have got Daniela Bruce of DetroitTigers.com. She covers the team for them. That's coming up at 8 p.m. We'll hear from other Mariners voices, Jerry Depoto, who sat down with Brock and Salk earlier today. We'll take a listen to that conversation. Shane Andreer joined me on the post game. But like I said, Brandon Gustafson, top secret special guest, never before heard tonight on Extra Innings. He joins me next. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Welcome back into Extra Innings. Joining me now as as he does every single week, he has still answered the call. It's Brandon Gustin of SeattleSports.com. Brandon, how's it going? Good. I, I feel like I'm the that group of warriors in Lord of the Rings just answering the call every time. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. And by God, it's going to be Brandon Gustin. And Brandon, boy, Mariners with a tough one yesterday, losing 4-3. to They're 4-11 in one-run games this season, which is such a stark contrast to what we've become accustomed to over the last couple of seasons. And I mean, is it simply just luck kind of regressing to the mean or, or is there maybe something that you're seeing as to why the Mariners can't pull out these close ball games? I mean, really, when you have three, four key, key guys in your lineup in the middle of your lineup that just aren't hitting Julio's hitting around 200 Teoscar Hernandez is striking out at a ridiculous clip. Gino Suarez got off to a really, really hot start for the first week and a half, two weeks, and has really regressed since. It's just too many guys not hitting because the pitching is doing their job. That's the thing. You look at Fangraphs, War, F4, Mariners, number one in baseball by by two full points over Minnesota, who's number two. So you know the pitching is getting it done. The bullpen's getting it done. The rotation's been electric this year. Uh, it's just, it, it all falls on the offense, unfortunately. And it's not like it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes with baseball, you'll have a day where the offense comes out and you don't have the pitching, and that happens, and, and sometimes it's vice versa. Unfortunately, it's just it's all fallen on the pitching staff's shoulders. They've kept them in a lot of these games. They're doing their jobs. They just they need at least one or two more guys to really just get going here and hit what's on their baseball card. One of the most important things that Mariners fans do each day is – lob their thoughts about the lineup to all of us every single day. It's a rite of passage no matter what the lineup looks like. And yeah. yesterday there was actually there was actual reason for uh 
tons of discussion about it because Julio Rodriguez, who we've become accustomed to in that number one spot, moved all the way down to number six. He wasn't the only guy getting moved down in the order. Teoscar Hernandez was down to seventh in the lineup. Uh, boy, I I can't imagine if I had told you that on opening day that Julio Rodriguez on May 10th would be batting six and Teoscar Hernandez batting seventh. That uh, you'd think things were going swimmingly right now. Yeah, seriously. It, it's it's kind of like how if you would tell someone that Jared Kelnick is top 10 in OPS and MLB and the Mariners have the number one pitching staff in baseball on May 10th, <laughs> you'd think, oh my God, these guys are like 15 over 500. Yeah. They're doing what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing. And, and, and unfortunately, 31 and 8. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, they're, they're a game under 500. But yeah, it, it's been a really rough go. And I think the thing is, there are some people that have a thought that Oh, these guys are being selfish with their at bats. They're they're trying to to be the guy every single time. And I wouldn't say it's selfishness. I think it's just that, especially in Julio's case, and we we know it from last year. Like this guy wants not just to be great, but he wants the team to be great, and he puts a lot of that pressure on himself. And because there's so many guys that aren't hitting, I think he's especially pressing. And then Teoscar, it could be anybody. You're going to a new situation, a team that's supposed to contend. You're brought in to be one of the key bats. What was he hitting cleanup on opening day? I mean, th- yeah. this is a guy that was that was brought in to be a key fixture in this lineup alongside Julio Rodriguez, and unfortunately, it's just been a it's just been a lot of struggles, a lot more swing and miss, a lot more chase. I mean, I mean, yeah, you, you can't have those two guys in particular at a spot where now they're having to hit six and seven because you you don't want to maximize their opportunities. That was the whole thing with Julio Rodriguez hitting leadoff last year and at the beginning of this year. You want your best hitter to get more more bites at the apple than anybody else. And unfortunately, you're just at a point where Julio's swinging so big, he's trying to do so much, he's expanding more than he had, and he's always going to have swing and miss and some chase. But right now, I think both he and Teoscar really do just kind of need to be not a little less aggressive. They need to take more pitches, try to work more counts, and and really just try to get the barrel to the ball. Not everything has to be a huge double into the gap or, or a home run or something like that. A lot of times you just need to find the barrel and hit the ball the other way. I do think Julio's at-bats yesterday, for the most part, did look better. He went the other way twice. One almost went out. The other one, he got a single. So that that's at least some progress. And obviously, these guys are professionals. They're great hitters. They know what they need to do. We, we just haven't seen that from those two so far. Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com joining us in studio tonight for Extra Innings. And Brandon, since we last spoke last week, we have had not... It's been a long time. It has been. A lot has happened. A lot has changed. <laughs> but what has been a very positive thing to watch is the two starts that Bryce Miller has made since the last time we have spoke. Fantastic. He started that game right after uh, last week's Extra Innings, and then he also started Sunday. He has looked really good. That fastball has some life on it. It's dynamic. Uh, what are you seeing from him that has had him uh, just having so much success right out of the gate? Yeah, I mean, you you brought it up. It's the fastball. It all starts with the fastball for Bryce Miller, and it kind of like what we saw with, with George Kirby and Logan Gilbert last year. Those two guys really just rode the fastball, and the secondaries weren't quite there. I don't think it's quite the same thing with Bryce. I think he does have a pretty good slider as a second pitch. He mixes in a cutter as well, so he kind of has the two different breaking ball looks. It's just... The fastball is so dynamic. It's so different. It's Spencer Strider-esque, and Spencer Strider with the Braves has maybe the best fastball of any starting pitcher in baseball in just terms of velocity and ride and just how it's able to to fight gravity, essentially moving towards <laughs> the plate. And, and Bryce Miller is in that same boat with just the, the metrics and the spin behind that fastball. It's incredible. And there were some people on Twitter uh, who were asking, asking myself, asking Brent Stecker, like, hey, 
when you're looking at Bryce, are you worried that he's not using these secondaries more? Are you worried he's too fastball-centric? And it's like, I don't think that it's anything where he's worried about the secondaries. I think it's just like, hey, the fastball's great. They're not hitting it. I'm going to ride this thing until it doesn't work anymore. So it, it, it's been a great start. I thought that the contrast between his first start being in Oakland in front of probably like 1,200 people <laughs> but versus Sunday against the reigning champs a series win on the line. Uh, it was 42,000 people on a beautiful Sunday at T-Mobile Park. And I was very interested to see how he was going to handle that emotionally. And he just went out and did his thing. Didn't really have many pressure situations at all and handed it off to the pen with the lead. And that's all you could ask for from a guy that's going and making his uh, his first start at home. It was pretty incredible to see. When you think back to the debuts of, of the three young guys in the mm-hmm. rotation, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and Bryce Miller, just at the time of their debuts, which, which one do you think – has the highest upside of it. I mean, we all kind of know what Kirby and Gilbert have become, but yeah, just at the sure. time of their debuts, which one of the three did you think had the best potential? Probably Kirby, just because you you can't teach that kind of command. That ability to just command and pound the strike zone, not just with strikes, but with quality strikes. And he was somebody who, when they drafted him, he was like 91 to 93, maybe 94 with the fastball. And then all of a sudden you hear about them them with their gas camp and these guys just trending up and you're hearing oh Kirby touched triple digits at the 2020 camp at the alternate site and you're like wait what this guy with 80 grade command is throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour in short stints that's kind of when you realize like oh they might have something ridiculously special here and Logan Gilbert might be the Stetson product, but George Kirby does have a lot of very Jacob deGrom-like qualities just with his his repeatable motion and, and just the, the way the ball explodes out of his hand, his ability to command the zone and just pepper strikes with high velocity. Obviously, you would hope that George stays a lot healthier than Jacob deGrom has been later in his career, but as we've seen, when, when there's there might not be a better pitcher on the planet than a healthy Jacob deGrom, and, and Kirby just kind of has the same build, the same ability with the baseball that, that Jacob deGrom has. Has. So, yeah, sky's the limit for him. I mean, you could legitimately make a case that by the end of this year, he's probably going to be the Mariners' best pitcher. It, it's just that that mix of stuff and command is just otherworldly. And one thing that has happened on the farm over the last couple of weeks is something that I think, getting back to young pitching in the Mariners' organization, is something that I don't know if a lot of people were anticipating this so soon in the season, but Prelander Baroa out of the bullpen now for the Arkansas Travelers, the Double A level. Is that a name that you expect to see up in Seattle soon, especially with kind of getting the update yesterday on Andres Munoz's status? Yeah, I don't know how soon it will be. Uh, Jerry Depoto on our station today had mentioned him in the same breath as what they did with Matt Brash last year and Edwin Diaz back when he debuted because both those guys were starters coming up. Uh, in Diaz's case, he was in double A. They made the shift there and then brought him up a few weeks later. Brash obviously started last season as a starter at the big league level, so it's a little different there. But Perlander Baroa, explosive fastball, huge slider, uh, promising changeup better than I think a lot of people had anticipated. It looked like that was a better offering in spring training. So I'm sure there was a little bit of debate about how long do we want to keep him as a starter. But as far as when he's going to make his debut, the good thing is, your bullpens might be the best in baseball right now without Andres Munoz. Obviously, 
getting Andres Munoz back is priority number one for this team as far as looking at the bullpen. Um, but I, I think the, you, the good thing is you don't have to rush up Prelanda Barroa right now. When Edwin Diaz came up, it kind of felt like, oh my gosh, the Mariners need another high leverage guy in the worst of ways. Uh, they don't really need that right now. G- Gabe Spire, Justin Topa have emerged as high leverage guys alongside Matt Brash and Paul Sewald, And obviously Andres Munoz, when he comes back, is going to get thrust right back into that role again. So you don't really need Prolander Barroa right away, but the stuff is just so electric, especially in the short inning type outings, that I do think that that we will see him sooner than later. I don't know if it's going to be first half of this year potentially, but hey, if, if for some reason one of those kind of key guys, even like a Trevor Gott, goes out on the IL for any extended period of time, it, it does seem like Prolander Barroa is probably the next guy up. He is Brandon Gustafson. You can read him at seattlesports.com. Follow him on Twitter at the B Gustafson and Brandon. I'll let you get back to watching the Kraken game five tonight against yeah, Dallas. Let's go. Let's. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that we'll see a Saturday clincher here at home in Seattle. That'd, that'd be, be fun. That'd be a pretty incredible environment for sure. Yeah, it would. But uh, he is Brandon Gustafson. Follow him on Twitter. Read his stuff at SeattleSports.com. Brandon. Appreciate you being our secret special guest. Yeah, it's super secretive, and obviously uh, the next time it happens, we'll, we'll try to keep it under wraps, too. Hey, make sure you're downloading every hour of every single show at seattlesports.com, and you can also download the Seattle Sports app on your iPhone, your Android device, whatever cell phone you have. We are there, available at your fingertips. Coming up next here on Extra Innings, Shannon Dreyer. She joined me on the postgame show yesterday for some instant reaction to yesterday's game and also the decision to put Julio down in the order in the sixth spot. We'll dive into that conversation coming up next here on Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners. On the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Burke looks in, has a sign, here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive the other way, left center field, down for a base hit. Caballero can run, he's heading for third. He's going to be waved in by Manny, he's going to score. Kelnick the turn, heading for three, the relay to third. Not in time, and the ball is dropped by the third baseman, Young. After the relay by Duran, Jared Kelnick hustles into third with an RBI triple. 866-979-3776. The Mac and Jack's text line is there for you. If you want to join in on the conversation at any point, we're with you till 9 p.m. here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. I'm Curtis Rogers. And yesterday on the postgame show, I talked with Shannon Dreyer about all sorts of things stemming from the series finale loss to the Texas Rangers. Chief among them, obviously, Julio being moved down in the batting order, but also just getting over the hurdle that is 500. The Mariners have had a couple opportunities this year to get a winning record on the board uh, outside of opening day. They have not been able to get over that hump just yet. We talked about that to begin our conversation. Let's take a listen. Yeah, it usually is with 500. There's usually a reason why you're below 500, and it takes, if you kind of are struggling, and that's where you're hanging out for a while, it takes a little while to get through that. And I think it's interesting that he just kept pointing to the pitching because after last night's ball game, there was such a different feel, not just because they won, because I think that there was a realization that, you know, this pitching, just watching starter after starter after starter, go out and dominate some very good offenses, I think there was the realization that, hey, we're going to be okay. This pitching is going to hold us in here until we can get this offense sorted out, until we can get some things fixed. 
And uh, I think that there's some, um, you know, disappointment that they weren't able to pick up from where they were with that yesterday. And there was definitely, it was a little bit more subdued. You did hear some, again, some shouts of frustration after the game in the clubhouse, kind of coming from the shower area. That's two times out of the last three days that we've heard that so it's you know the time of the year where if you've been struggling for a while you kind of feel that you should be out of that so you're also then dealing with that frustration there but i think scott was right to really kind of point at just remember you're less than 24 hours separated from feeling that you're going to have that chance to get out of this because of what the pitching is going to do and that of course is by design with this team so uh, you know, I think that um, it's a it's a tough and it's a tricky balance for the manager right now. And how do you manage that? You know, today we saw a move with the lineup, but uh, they do see things that need to be improved. And in, in baseball, if you know anything about this game, it's never as easy as it looks. So it's you did take that one step forward, and you're back again to where you were a couple of days ago. And we'll see what happens on the road trip. We will. And uh, Shannon, I mean, obviously the Mariners' pitching has been phenomenal this season best staff in baseball according to fan graphs i mean nothing more can be said really just how dominant they've been throughout the course of the season's first month and a half but the offense uh you know has continued to have its struggles what is it what is the one thing that you think is holding this offense back right now is it is it the number of strikeouts is it the lack of walks what what is it right now that you think is the one thing the Mariners offense uh, needs to sort out in in order to get back here uh, over 500 well, I don't think it's one thing at this point. You know, if you're in a small slump or if it's just a couple of guys, I think you can kind of pull out of it and there's one thing you can focus on. But unfortunately, this has been going on with a number of guys that it is for some time. And then it starts kind of evolving in the wrong direction. So if there was a reason why something was going wrong, now you're going to add pressing into the mix as well. And I, I do think that the biggest thing that we have seen and kind of the thing that you see the most that has been a problem is is approach and i think you saw a better approach from this team yesterday not just because they won it but we actually saw uh, that they were starting to hand the baton off a little bit more you hear scott service talk about i don't need guys out there trying to hit 110 percent if you back off of it a little bit and, and, and just come up with a single with a runner on or if you lay off the the pitch that you can't do anything with with a runner on third and you do you know, get the sack fly instead with a pitch that you can do something with, uh, you know, do that. And that becomes that much harder when you are in the struggle that you are in and, and trying to do too much. And I think that, you know, this game, I think you saw a little bit of it. I think you saw a little bit better, not great at bats early on, but you look at that eighth, eighth inning and, uh, you know, Eugenio Suarez walks which was great, but he swung at a couple of ball fours and fouled them off. The same thing with Cal Raleigh. Gets the count to 3-2, and then he's fouling off ball four. And, you know, that's you're, you're getting you're getting fooled on, and we all know the pitches that they're getting fooled on right now on the outside pitches. I heard uh, Rick Riz when he was talking about the final at bat, and I think, look back to it, it was Teoscar Hernandez, and he was in a, not the final, but the second to last at bat. Teoscar Hernandez uh, was in, I think, also a 3-2 count. And at that point, does he think Smith is going, Rick said, you think he'll go back, and, and now he has to go to the fastball. And I'm like, why? You don't right now with Teoscar. Those are pitches that he is swinging at, and every team knows that. 
So I think that you look at this right now, and you got a lot of guys that are kind of getting themselves out. And the best thing that you can do at this point, if I wanted to see one thing, it would be shrinking that strike zone. Mariners insiders. Figure out what you can hit and go with that now. Okay. Go ahead, Curtis. I'm done. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Mariners insider Shannon Dreher joining here on the postgame show. And uh, Shannon, Mariners now 4-11 and in one-run games this season. Are you seeing any common things sprout up in these close games that uh, don't have the Mariners on the winning side of things? Nah, I think it's just where they're at right now. I think that's the offense. I think runners in scoring position, the big hit, everything that we hear them talking about. It's, you know, it's definitely translating that much bigger in the one-run games because you think you're in them. I, I do like what we saw. Um, and, and, again, I mean, we're talking about a team right now that has, what, won six of their last ten games. Could be worse. and Seven of their last ten. Could be much worse. Um, but, you know, we know what we want to see from this offense. So they've got to get back to the approach that has been preached. They have got to, as Scott Service said a couple of days ago, you know, don't you, – you, you're, you're giving the pitches away right now. You're, this team is easy to pitch to right now. Eliminate something. Take something away from the pitcher. Don't swing at the edge pitches right now. You're not doing anything with those pitches. You're, you're causing a little bit more harm than good with those. And just kind of, I think, simplify at the plate is something that could help, certainly in a one-run situation or if they're down by a few. I just think that, you know, at this point where they're at with it, it, it kind of uh, kind of seeps into everything. It doesn't really matter the situation. Shannon, the big news of the morning in the Mariner world was Julio Rodriguez getting moved down in the order, down to six today. Teoscar Hernandez also moved down in the order, down to seventh. Uh, how were those moves received in the clubhouse today? I think they look at the line up and go okay you know this is where i'm hitting i do know that scott did talk with julio after the game last night that's not a move that you just you know walk in and see up on the board and scott said he thought he had kind of some agreement with julio that this is probably the right thing to do and uh, i do think that there's frustration because it really doesn't matter where you are everybody comes up in big situations at some point but hopefully that this did take a little bit of pressure off and you did see that he did have a little bit of success with the single in the fifth inning he did hit a couple of baseballs hard as well which i don't focus on as much with him because it's not so much what he's hitting it's what he's not hitting but i i you know you hope that uh, taking that kind of pressure off that that perhaps did lead to something he is going to see something and uh, it, it's a move that you can make to try and help a struggling player so i i think they were probably you know i don't think it was anything that was talked about i think if he had not been in the lineup it might have been something else but um you know, J.P. Crawford is a guy that you know can get on base, you know is going to put up a good at bat, and he's a good plate person to have in that spot for now. But ideally, you want J.P. Crawford probably, ideally you want him hitting ninth. You want him on base for Julio Rodriguez. You don't want to have to play some higher in the order because your higher in the order guys aren't producing. You know, you don't have J.P. Crawford to be a home run hitter. You don't have him to be a six or a seven hitter. His, his on base skills are, you know, you want him in an area where he can help produce runs and be that run that, that scores. So, you know, ideally you want him back nine and you want JP and you want Julio batting leadoff, but you got to get Julio right before you can do that again. I, I think it was, it was good to see. 
Shannon Dreyer with us for just a couple more moments here on the postgame show. And Shannon, uh, Jared Kelnick with the RBI triple today. A great sight to see him going the other way with that one. Uh, was slow to get up after sliding into third base. Uh, did remain in the game, though. Any updates on him after uh, taking that really hard slide into third? Uh, no, just what Scott said. He said it was more he got hit with a ball when he slid into third. We did see him kind of walking around the clubhouse and heading to the training room. He looked, I think, okay. You don't know if this is one of those things that will feel different tomorrow, but if it does, it's an off day. So so that's good. Um, you know, it kind of got me thinking a little bit. You worry about him a little bit. He does play hard. He did crash into a wall a couple of days ago. So um, you don't want him getting too banged up. It's something we certainly will check in on uh, in game one in Detroit. And that game one in Detroit will take place tomorrow, 3.40 p.m. first pitch. Marco Gonzalez taking on Matthew Boyd, former Mariner Matthew Boyd, if you recall from last season. Uh, pre-game show will start at 2.30 p.m. on the Mariners radio network. When we come back here on Extra Innings, Jerry DePoto, as he does every single Thursday morning at 8.30, stops by Brock and Salk. It's become must-listen-to radio for any Mariners fans. We'll take a listen to a portion of that conversation. Coming up next here on Extra Innings, you're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. I think it's safe to say that despite winning seven of their last ten and taking six of nine from three straight AL West opponents, it's still kind of hard to get a read on who these Mariners are after... Uh, 30 plus games into the season. We're a month and a half into things here in 2023. So, what does Jerry DePoto make of his team after the homestand that they had against Houston and against Texas? Well, he joined Brock and Salk today to discuss that, also to discuss about the pitching staff, and and also Jared Kelnick, the turnaround that he has had in the 2023 season. But he starts with his takeaways from the homestand. Uh, I mean, it, I guess it depends from which end of the spectrum we start. It's, uh, I, I don't know, and this is really for the season, but, you know, particularly for this homestand and in the month of May, our pitching has just been awesome. And it's, it's every day our, our pitchers are giving us a chance to win. And it's more than just a chance. The, the way they have dominated in the month of May is, is just, you know, otherworldly with the strikeouts. We're not walking people. They're hard to hit. And, you know, it's a, and, and right now it's, it's fun to watch because in addition to the results, you know, the, the process is, is not just good, but it's stuffy and, and stuffy is fun. Um, it's our starters. It's our relievers. It's up and down the chain. Uh, I thought we did, you know, it was sporadic and not consistent, but we saw better signs from our offense this past homestand than we've seen in, in a couple of weeks. And hopefully we, we've seen Ty France turn the corner and, and he looks like Ty France again after a three-week slump. And we've got a few others who are still mired in, in pretty significant slumps that hopefully we're able to shake out of. But we were able to do enough to, to score runs at a little higher clip than we have been recently. But the same frustration in – and close losses that has plagued us throughout the year that I do think will will turn itself around if it's luck tells you that it will. So I think about how great the pitching has been, and, and I don't have any evidence to support this this sort of observation, but it has just seemed to me in life that when the pitching is is forced to carry a team for as long as they have, that at some point the bats, of course, will turn around, but that it's taken – 
quite a bit of effort and that effect will, will end up, you know, causing the pitchers to maybe backslide a little bit. How concerned are you that, that, that what they are doing now needs to be sustained throughout the entirety of the season? I think it would be almost impossible to expect them to be as good as they are now. And it, you know, we use this, this month of May and it's, it's a very small sample, but just a month of May to, to this point, you know, they're striking out, I think almost 11 hitters per game. We're, we're walking about a, a hitter and a half and you're not going to see that kind of performance sustained over a, a six month period, but uh, you're going to, you will have a little slide back. The the thing that I would be more concerned with in terms of the stress on the pitching staff is, is frankly, you know, the number of close games we play forces the, the leverage, the high leverage relievers into the game more frequently. And, you know, right now guys like Seawald and Brash and Topa and Gabe Spire, you know, they're, they're pitching a little more frequently than they ordinarily would at this time in the season. And, and, you know, days like these, an off day where they can just take a blow, you know, a day like yesterday where, you know, some of them just naturally had a day down and, and create a two day swing where, where they're not out there, you know, chucking it is a positive for, for our team to keep them in a good place because, you know, they've, for us to do the things that we want to do by season's end, they have to be as good as they've been. One of the things I've enjoyed in doing uh, this radio for 14 years is learning the vast differences between football and baseball, and there are a bunch of them. Uh, in my football life experience, Jerry, high school, college, now even doing the USFL, you really see it in these in these leagues when there is an offense that's you know carrying a defense or a defense that has to carry an offense, and the other side just is not getting going and contributing. You can almost feel the tension at times on the sidelines and at times even in the locker room. Uh, is there ever a challenge as as unbelievable as the pitching has been here through you know the first twenty five percent or so of this season, and, and the offense having a hard time? consistently getting going is there ever friction points in clubhouses have you ever experienced that in your years in baseball well i i've spent some of my work life both as a pitcher and a front office person in the most extreme of those environments <laughs> and True. you know occasionally it will you know it will tip with this team it has not and i really don't expect that it will you know if, if you're in there it's it, down in our clubhouse or around that area on, on Wednesday night when, or Tuesday night when we, when we beat Texas, it's, it's as good as it's ever been. You know, they're, they keep their heads up. They're not sulking. I think that the, the positive about our team is, is that these guys love playing together. They love playing in Seattle, despite the fact that the weather was cold for a month. I think the, the, the energy around the team really hasn't shifted in a meaningful way. You know, they still do things. The camaraderie on the club is is very good. I, I really don't worry about any of that. And I do think that, that when you look at the hitters in our lineup, it's, you know, Julio is not going to hit 200. And, and he's not going to roll a 150 bat for the next 70 plate appearances like he has for the last 70. You know, Casker Hernandez will hit. He's He's got too long a, a track record to suggest otherwise. Same with Gino Suarez. And, you know, but when you've got three or four guys, like we seem to have had throughout the course of this season to date, when you've got three or four guys who are all slumping simultaneously, it looks bad. And, and it's really hard to score runs, despite the fact that I think the bottom of our order, you know, the, the guys that, that kind of were struggling in the season's early weeks 
are now effectively turned around and doing things like they normally do. Guys like Colton Wong and AJ Pollock and GP Crawford, you know, have really done a lot to create traffic. We're just not cashing in because we don't have the consistency up and down the order right now. You guys made the decision, I would assume as a group, uh, to move Julio down in the order yesterday. And Scott talked a little bit about it. Julio talked about it. Do you factor into decisions like that? Yeah. You know, Scott ran it by me and post game Tuesday and said, what do you think? And I, I think the, the, the real thought process here is just to get Julio going and take a little pressure off him. He's, you know, he's, he puts a lot of pressure on himself naturally. I think the, the fact that he's leading off every game creates a little more of a heightened awareness. And you can see him like we were talking about last week when we were talking about when you see hitters press. And this is true of Julio. It's true of Gino. It's true of Teo. Uh, you know, you see them start to swing at pitches that they just don't swing at. That, you know, we're, as the viewer, you say, wow, what are we doing? And, you know, they're just trying to do more than they're capable. They want to be the one to pull the offense out of this. And, and their skill sets and their history suggest that they will do that. Uh, they're just trying too hard right now. And the best thing you can do with players that are trying too hard is just take a little pressure off them in any way you can. And, you know, letting Julio come up a little later in the, in the game, you know, first inning, second inning, hitting them down in the lineup. It's not permanent. You know, we're just trying to get the bat going and, and get his confidence back where it needs to be. Do you think Very- you'll see different pitches there? I, I mean, I, I remember talking to, you know, a light hitting shortstop years ago who was like, yeah, I don't know what Felix Hernandez is really like because all he does is throw me fastballs because I stink. I mean, like, he's still Julio Rodriguez. So will he see any different pitches hitting sixth versus first? Not at all. It's just a mentality. And, you know, I, I will say, and this is just an observation. I have no data to back it up. It's, it's watching a game. But I watched yesterday's game, and yesterday in the box, Julio's swing looked like Julio. He looked relaxed. He was on his feet. He wasn't jumping. And, you know, with the exception of one, you know, big swing and a behind in the count pitch that was up in the zone, he, he stayed calm throughout his swing. And, and he wasn't trying to do too much. And I think the result was, you know, he hit a scorcher to left field. He did find a hit to right. It's the bats were better. And, and that's what you're trying to accomplish is just slow the heartbeat down. Give you, give your, doesn't matter how good you are, how big your talent is, you know, or frankly, how much you've accomplished in the game. Everybody's going to run into stretches where they put too much pressure on themselves. And, you know, we just need to try to relieve that to the best we can. Unfortunately, there's, you know, there's only a couple of spots in the order you can rotate guys through. And, and right now we have others that may need similar help just to take some, some stress off them. But there's only so much you can do when you play every day. Do you think, Jerry, that is where a Mitch Haniger or a Carlos Santana a year ago, their voice was so beneficial to a Julio and to some of these young players? Uh, you know, I, th- I can tell you for for Julio in particular, Carlos Santana was was magical for him and, you know, a great guy. He was a reference point for Julio in the clubhouse and off the field. And they had a, a relationship that existed before Carlos even came to the Mariners. But we have players like that. We have Tom Murphy. We have Gino Suarez. You know, we have AJ Pollock, who's fantastic in that category. And you know, I think the, 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 the more, I, I guess, the thing that comes to mind is it's really hard to be that player. And even if you're Mitch Hanniger or Carlos Santana, and you could be 
Aaron Judge or Bryce Harper. When you're four for your last 50, you don't really say much. And, and that goes for whoever you are. So, you know, the, the leadership piece, the, the, the reference point, the guy you can lean on, he's less likely to offer you those golden nuggets when he himself is struggling. And, you know, you've got, again, you've got five or six hitters in this lineup that have gone through 40 and 60 plate appearance slumps. And as a result, they are less likely to, to share with the other because they're trying to figure it out on their own. You mentioned uh, Julio looking a little calmer at the plate. It felt like you were describing every at-bat we've seen from Jared Kelnick this year. The one yesterday, late in the game against the lefty. I mean, how in the world has a player made that big a stride in so little time? I mean, with, with, with Jared, I, the easiest thing to say is it's sheer will. You know, he, he has willed himself to be what his talent has always suggested he should be and you know his his mental approach to baseball is has i can't even say enough about how much work he put into you know recrafting the way he approaches the game especially the way he processes pitch to pitch and the way he i I mean it's going to sound silly in a reference but you know if you remember the kevin costner movie where the perfect game where he just clears the mechanism jk is clearing the mechanism he's not allowing the last at bat or the last day to carry over. And, and, and that's the biggest thing in, in staying away from deep slumps. And, you know, and JK regressed a little bit for a week or so, and, and it wasn't going quite as good for him, but the at bat stayed good. And, you know, he was seeing pitches, he was doing the, the, the right things. The pitch selection was strong. And, and when you do that, you never really stray very far from your productivity. And, and that's the space that he's in right now. You can download the full Jerry DePoto show conversation. It's more than 20 minutes in length. You can download it wherever it is you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. You can also download it at seattlesports.com by clicking on the podcast page. When we return, Hour 2 comes your way. Ryan Roland Smith, he joined Bump and Stacy earlier today on Seattle Sports. We also got an opponent preview with Daniela Bruce of the Detroit Tigers. She joins us next here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.